Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll continue with the class today. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us. I pray that you be with us and help us understand your word uh, as we're going through the book of Acts. I pray, Lord, that, the, uh, that you help us understand the importance of the book of Acts and also the content of the book of Acts so that we could learn, understand, and live what your word is saying. I pray that you be with everyone that is here today and those who are coming here this morning. I pray that you bless us all according to your will. And may your will be done in our lives, so Father. I pray that you open up doors so that we may witness to others as well and they would come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have eternal life. We thank you for these opportunities that you've given us and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of the things that we learned uh, over last week or maybe last few weeks we've been looking at is Acts chapter 4 and 5 combined and obviously chapter 4 and 5 they go together because there is a sequence of things that happen in 4 and also in chapter 5. Again, we are looking at the narrative. Narrative usually is a story and within that story there are characters within those uh, Within that story, there are scenes, and then within that narratives, there are plots, there are twists. So all kinds of surprising elements are involved in the narrative because the book of Acts is a narrative. It's not the genre of it. It's not something like uh, we can differentiate between the poetry and prophecy, uh, things like that, and letters, for example. But this is a historical document. So this is a narrative, a story that is given by the Holy Spirit for us to learn what God, what God has done. So there is a continuation, obviously, in just about every chapter, it's all linked, but especially chapter four and five, there is a structure, there is a sequence of events that happen, whether it be positive or negative, this is all connected. It's all one story. So we learned that there was a man, apostle, a surname, a man named Barnabas, or Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation or encouragement, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus having land. So that's very brief. He said having land, he sold it and he brought that and laid it at the apostles' feet. And we learn why that might be the case. Why did he leave those proceeds or that money, whatever he brought at the apostles' feet is because he's given the authority to the apostles to do whatever they want to do with us. Obviously, not that apostles would just keep that in, in their pocket. You know, but that the apostles would distribute the proceeds to people who are in need. And I believe it's in chapter 3 or so we learned, maybe in chapter 4, that we learned that there is nobody who is in need. That is the extent of that new church went to help one another. So this little event of Barnabas functions as a contrast is also we learned to what was going on in chapter 5. That is why this is all sequential. There's a sequence in how the author put it all together and what can we learn from that part of chapter 4, 32 to 37 is church and individual members of the church must be generous in giving, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be money all the time because when we sometimes when you hear giving, it's like, oh, so let's give so and so. Oh, that giving means it's money. Oh, I'm getting money. So it doesn't have to be money all the time. It could be anything else. A church can give generously anything else. If you have, if you don't have food, church will give food, clothing, you know, you need something for your house, things of that, that sort. It doesn't have to be always money, but church and individual members of the church must be generous in giving. And we learn that because of, uh, from the person of Christ, Christ is compassionate, right? When he saw the crowds of this Israel people, how did he feel? Did he feel like he was pushed or did he feel compassionate? Was he irritated or was he compassionate? He, did he move with compassion when he saw the people? Because they were like the sheep without a shepherd. 
So he moved with compassion. We know the God who created all these things is a God of compassion because I don't want to go into Old Testament because I might not come back today. But you can see that through all the Old Testament pages how compassionate, loving and long-suffering God is. Now you may throw a question at me, but then why would God command to kill this? Maybe, maybe another day we'll go into that thing. And why would God command to kill Canaanites? And then you know everybody says, look at this God of the Bible. He's just so, he doesn't have a heart. And I don't want to believe in him because he gives orders to kill sentimental, to kill not only men. So in other words, if God gives commands to kill men, that's not a problem. But he gave commands to kill women and children too. <gasps> that is a no-no. So in other words, it's okay for men to get killed, but not for women and children. So how can he do that? We can go into all kinds of discussion. Do you have something to say about that? No, I was going to mention something else that I uh, took note of here because uh, I was reading the text. Uh, and it says that uh, uh, they took the proceeds. Mm -hmm. uh, so from the sales of these different things, they took the proceeds. Uh, and proceeds is actually a very technical term. What that means is that they sold the land and whatever money they got from the sale of the land, those were the, the proceeds. That's different than profit. Mm -hmm. okay? Proceeds and profit are very different things. So as, as much as revenue and profit are different, mm -hmm. okay? So profit is your expenses, minus, is, your, is your revenue minus your expenses, that's your profit. Proceeds are just whatever you get from the sale. Of Everything. Without profit, without, the, without taking into account the expense of that. So basically what these people were doing was they were not taking any expense into account. They were just taking whatever money they could get from liquidating this, whatever the expense was to them, and then they took that money and gave it to the church. Mm -hmm. Which is, when you think about it, it's, I mean, basically they were giving the money. All they were doing was liquidating it prior to it, so it was in the form of money so they could be easily distributed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're not holding anything back in this, in this part of the text. So they're giving everything, whatever they got, they're giving. They kept that, that, that proceeds at the feet of the disciples. So that's what we are learning. And then that's where there is also, we learned about a little contrast last week. So here he gave everything. I mean, this Luke didn't say much about Barnabas. This is all that is. This is his nickname is so-and-so. He went and sold everything he's got and he brought the money, put it at the disciples' feet. And obviously we learned about this Barnabas again later on in the book of Acts. But right, not really right now, but that's all he says. There's nothing much about him. And then... We get into the next chapter. So again, there is the connection as we learned last week because of that little word, but that is day in, in Greek. Um, day aneir, that is but a certain man named Ananias. So we just looked at Barnabas and what he did, or Barnabas what he did. And then there's a contrast in the next chapter uh, where we learn about Ananias and Sapphira. So what is going on? The overall point of this passage 1 to 11 is our commitment with God. How is our commitment with God is what we will see. And so what happened in this part of the text between Ananias and Sapphira and also the disciples? God wants us to be committed and faithful to him. That is the point of chapter 5 verses 1 to, I should have put 11, but 10. So God wants us to be committed and be faithful to him. So the point here is, were Ananias and Sapphira being faithful to the Lord? No, but their outward appearance was what? 
man, you just did all this stuff. You sold everything and brought to the Lord. The outward appearance is like just nice suit and coat, but inside it's, it's bad. It's like, it, I, I mean, I think I have asked this. See, sometimes I go way beyond my notes and I have notes somewhere here, but it's not here. So if it makes sense, it's not on the screen. I just look at these things and, but I do write a ton of these things. But anyways, so what are we learning here? I mean, even though their outward appearances is as if they're selling everything, giving, there's this contrast between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. So what is that? The deceit of Ananias and Sapphira. So look at this, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, we learn about that preposition as well with Sapphira, his wife, meaning what she's also part of it. Certain man named Ananias with, along with his wife Sapphira, sold a possession. Okay, no problem. And kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Obviously, they both were involved in that is what we have learned about, right? So, we I pointed out to a some similar thing. And, and here, especially, we need to keep in mind about the, uh, the, the phrase or words here and kept back part of the price. So this is what they've done, okay, before coming to the apostles and leaving everything uh, or whatever they have at the feet of apostles. That's what they did. So his wife is included in it, Ananias was included in it. And the third thing is they kept part of, what, of the prize and his wife also being aware or being involved in, into it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they are thinking that we can do whatever we want to do, nobody is going to notice. But who else is noticing? Who else is seeing all these things? Peter, is, Peter saw these things. Peter was what with the Holy Spirit? Huh? Filled with Holy Spirit. Peter was moved with Holy Spirit. And now obviously from theology of God himself, is God present everywhere or only location based? Everywhere. Now is there anything that could be hid from the eyes of the Lord? God is spirit. He's filled. Is he here right now? You can't feel it, but I can guarantee that he's, he's here. Are the devil's lieutenants watching? What are they doing? Are they learning about the Bible? We need to do something. We need to destroy them. They are too. Probably so walking around somewhere. Maybe they're trying to... They're throw. Not. They're not. The they're not. They, but he could assign his lieutenants every here. They might be wanting me to come on this water so they can throw me or push me down. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there's, because there is, I mean, reality though, there is spiritual warfare. There is battle, supernatural battle all the time, right? Paul says that we're not getting into that, but we are not just fighting in flesh or with flesh, but what? Against powers and principalities. Those are strong, strong terms, powers and principalities. There's not just, we can't just breeze them and move on while we're reading. We have to pause and dig through those words. They're powerful words. So we're constantly... Fighting that, but then we the point is God is everywhere. The question, see, I'm putting myself in trouble when I ask this question. Is God present in hell? Yes. He has to be. And, and more importantly, but as I've always said, uh, the, the issue is not whether God is present in hell and whether God is present everywhere, but is God present everywhere equally? Uh, and the answer to that question is no. He's not present in a believer in the same way that he is present in heaven. So uh, the believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God is present in the temple of the Holy Spirit in a very specific way. But in hell, uh, the idea would be like 
all that's present of God in hell would be his wrath. But still there is a presence but because he's got to. If not, he cannot be, uh, what is it called, omnipresent. Yeah. So that's going to contradict God himself. So obviously, God is everywhere. He's, see, he's watching everything. And we will get into that, the Peter's uh, call. What, what was Peter doing in, uh, when he was talking to Ananias? But God was watching. God saw and that Ananias and Sapphira, both of them, wife and husband, kept back part of the prize. And also who's involved in it and what they brought to the feet of apostles. So that is one of the things that we learned. So they were not aware. Now keep in mind, there are certain things that are happening in, in the book of Acts, right? From chapter 1 until this chapter, there's so many powerful, wonderful things happening, including persecution of God's people who are preaching in the name of Jesus. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is at work because Christ, when ascending up to heaven, he said, I'm going to send my comforter. And when he comes, he's going to do what? He's going to remind you, number one, all the things that I've taught you and he's going to be with you. Obviously, there is work of Holy Spirit. And also we learned that uh, at the beginning of the title, when we're trying to learn about the title of the book of Acts, we learned that what? It is the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? So the work of Holy Spirit is so evident in this. We can see it. So his presence is so strong in the book of Acts. And so... <clears throat> Uh, the, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. So even though there, was, there were things going on, the, the, the Lord of the creation, He guided His people into speaking in His name. So we see a lot of activities going on until this chapter. So here we learn that this man and his wife are committing something wrong and they, have not, they were not aware that God was watching. This, 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 just point to, this is not in the notes, by the way. See, that's the problem with me. I go all over. This is like uh, Edom. The nation of Edom. Edom was absolutely difficult to defeat because it's situated in between the crazy high peak mountains. So if you look up, you see a mountain so steep, so tall, and the ways are so narrow, like you can't really fit you know, a few horses in that way if you come to war against Edom. So Edom was so prideful and they were thinking, who can defeat us? Nobody can defeat us. And Edomites are also the ones who... When the Babylonian army came to destroy Jerusalem, they said, come here, come here, come here, come here, go this way, go this way, shoot them, they're running, shoot some arrows in that direction, come, there's, there is that Israelite, right, 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 point in that direction, bam, release it, you're, you're taking too long, release the arrow. They were aiding Babylonians to persecute, to kill God's people, God's nation. I mean, who brought Babylon up, upon Jerusalem, upon Judah? God. So there is that permission that God has given for this nation to come and, you know, um, attack Judah, attack Jerusalem because of their sin. But God also put limit on these extra, extra uh, outside nations where they cannot cross the line. So Edomites were living in these high peak mountains and they, they thought nobody could defeat us. Nobody can come to us. And it is difficult if you look at the map. I don't have a map. It's so difficult to go into their plans and uh, into their places and defeat them. But they forgot they forgot somebody is watching them from high above. Who's that? Not those watchers or guardmans from the mountains. God is watching. Right? You can have all kinds of peaks, but God can also see the ways so you can get into Edom. They forgot he's watching from above and God makes sure that they are aware of what they're missing. God told them, uh, I believe it's Obadiah or Nahum, one of those... A minor prophetic books. God told them, 
you forgot who's watching you and I'm watching you from above. So in other words, there's no way can anyone escape from the eyes of the Lord. David prays that. I mean, if I go into Sheol or Hades, you're still there, right? If I go under the earth, you're there. If I go above, you're there. Where can I run from you? It's not going to be possible. So we can learn something from that. We cannot hide what we are doing from a holy God, from the God, from God who sees everything, right? But they didn't think about that. They were not really focused on that. They're focused on, come on, let's, let's keep something else and take what we should really take. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You take a little bit more. Leave that aside. So maybe, maybe they, you know, they took some time to put things aside, what we can take and what we cannot. We don't know. I'm just imagining all those things. But yes. And I would, I would say that you know, when we see this, the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, and when we see the situation in Nadab and Bible, we have to remember uh, the song that we always sing, yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is still the same. Mm -hmm. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. And, and so we, we sing that song, but then we don't realize the implications of what that means. That the same God who killed Nadab in the Bible killed Ananias and Sapphira because they would not do what is right. Mm -hmm. uh, they would not follow the commands. They, they were deceived in their own wicked hearts. And so the danger is definitely towards us that if God so chooses and if he loses patience with us, he definitely will kill us. That's one of the things that as Christians we take advantage or maybe we take it so lightly, but we will learn. If I can finish this, God is not going to take that well. In fact, that is the example we're going to learn from this. He's not going to let things go. You know, we might take, we might look at God and say, well, God is forgiving, but we need to be careful that, you know, to, to, we, God is forgiving, yes, but we must be careful not do things hoping that he'll forgive. What if he doesn't forgive? Right. I mean, these guys, when they died, they were they didn't have time for repentance. Did they have uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Did they call and say, Peter, hold on a second. Don't curse us. Give us just a minute. We're going to ask God to forgive us. Do they have any of the time? No, we'll get to it. But what is happening? So it's really, really, really dangerous. I mean, we cannot really play games with God is one of the things that we can learn. So they kept back part of the prize. And whatever they, they stored, we don't know how much they stored, but they kept back. That is also problematic, as we learned in, uh, last week. Uh, from Joshua 7.1. This is an interesting part here, okay? This is an interesting part here, so pay attention. We learned about they kept back something, keeping back something, is holding back something as if it's their stuff. It, well, obviously, whatever they sold is theirs. Nobody is questioning that. So they did what they did. They kept the part back, and then they came and gave it to the disciples, so, uh, apostles. So what is happening here? This is just an example, Joshua 7.1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. God doesn't like that. In their cursed thing for Achan, Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebedee, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. He is the tribe of Judah. He belongs to the tribe of Judah. Took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. This one guy took a thing, whatever thing or things, he hid themselves, he took them, he kept them. That make sense? He kept them, and the anger of the Lord kindled against who? Not just one guy. The entire nation. Why? Because God is wanting his nation to be holy. Leviticus 19, be holy. Because what? 
For I, the Lord your God is holy. You have to represent me. I'm your God. You're my nation. I've chosen you to be my nation. I've loved you with all my heart. He says that in Deuteronomy. I mean, the, the text is really difficult to say, you know, I love you. He doesn't say I love you. But he says you're my heart. What does he mean by you're my heart? Don't you, don't we say that when you have a loved one, you say you're my heart? Right? So it's so much more than just I love you. That is, uh, that is the love of God towards his people. Look at that. This one guy who took something he kept and Joshua, I feel personally, Joshua was forced to do something. He didn't maybe want to do, but then he had to obey the Lord, right? What did Joshua do? The commander. Anybody recall what happened to this guy? Kill him and his whole family was gone. Not just his family, everything that he owned was completely wiped out because he, all of that stuff had to take the place of what was stolen from, what was taken from under the home. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad in some sense, but then when Joshua, I think Joshua makes it clear, you brought this on your own. I mean, he's got his probably, I mean, again, I'm imagining he's got his sword in his hand. And he said, you brought this on your own. He cannot disobey the commandment of the Lord. See, this chapter is the contrast, is the contrast of chapter 2 in Joshua. Maybe when we do study in Joshua, we'll learn. what happened in Joshua chapter 2? Anybody recalls there is a, 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 an outsider, sorry? Rahab, Rahab, the outsider, a prostitute who did unthinkable. What did she do? She helped God's people, right? This is a contrast in attitude of what Rahab has done. See, I mean, the biblical narratives are, sometimes there are two main points or three main points in the narratives and there's, the other events are sandwiched between those events. The, the other thing about this text that's kind of interesting is a lot of people focus on the fact that oh, his whole family was punished for what he did wrong. But then they forget the fact that the nation was punished for what he did wrong because they went up to battle against AI and a bunch of people were killed. Yes. Because the Lord was not with, with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, consequences, right? Consequences. What about David's sin? David sinned against the Lord. David cried and begged the Lord to forgive me for my sin. What did God do? Did God forgive David? Yes. But what the consequences? Does he have to face the consequences? God said, yes, obviously sword will not leave your house. Who ran after David to kill him over and over again? His beloved son. What happened when he numbered the troops in, in Israel? You know, he even makes the point. He says, I'm the one who did wrong. But what, happened, what about these sheep? These, are, these sheep are innocent. But it was, it was the thousands of Israelites who died. Yes. Consequences. I mean, there's going to be consequences. So for this guy, sin there is consequence. But what is the point here? He did something that we see similarly in Book of Acts. He kept something, right? We see here Ananias and also Sapphira. They kept something. So when they came, what did Peter said? They came and Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Now hold on a second, Peter. I don't understand what you're saying. How is this lying to the Holy Ghost? And how do you know that Satan filled his heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? How do you know that you, how do you know, Peter, that he kept part of the price of the land? Last week you mentioned that they may have 
discussed before. Maybe there's a conversation. We don't know. The information is not given, but they may have talked about that. They may have, you know, discussed what they would. If people are trying to get some reputation, they might, you know, slip and said, oh, uh, we just saw something. We're trying to get some to church next week. We'll see you all in the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, what, so what are you giving? Oh, it's a secret. We're going to give it to, uh, give it to church next week and so forth. Or, or it wasn't a secret. They said, no, it's always probably they said that. And so the word went, I mean, obviously there's new believers, right? Word just goes up like that. And the word went out. They came. Peter said what? Peter, Ananias, why has Satan filled? Obviously we know Peter was a spokesperson sort of a thing and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why had Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Question number one that I have for you is can Satan or the devil possess a believer? But he can influence. So what are we to understand here? Why did Satan fill thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Meaning why have why did you let Satan take control of your influence you? Now Judas in Luke 22, he was also, what, what happened to Judas in Luke 22? Uh, did Satan fill Judas' heart or did Satan enter Judas' heart? Which one? Did Satan enter Judas' heart in Luke 22? Or I think it's, it's, it's just beautiful. I love it in, in the Gospel of John where... Where Jesus said, today, one of you is going to betray me. Everybody's so, so stressed out. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, 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 tell me. They're probably not sitting like this. They're all around in circle. They might be questioning, Lord, it's me, me. And Judas says, Lord, is it I? What was Jesus' response? Do what you came to do. Huh? What? What do you mean do what? Lord, you're talking to Judas. What do you mean do what? You, he's not talking to Judas. Get your thing done quick. He's giving permission for this devil who entered into Judas. And see here, he's filled, Ananias was filled uh, his heart with the devil. And there we, we learn that Judas' heart, um, Ju uh, Satan entered Judas' heart. So Peter, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie the, to the Holy Ghost? And so how is that Ananias was lying to the Holy Ghost? Obviously he knows. See, this is again very important because in, in that time when church was beginning, obviously from Acts chapter 1 until now, the Holy Spirit's presence, Acts from Acts chapter 2 until now, Holy Spirit's presence is so heavy in the Christian community, right? God is observing everything. God is in the presence. In, God was present in the, in the midst of the people. He was in them, in the people. He was doing great things. How could they forget that God is constantly in the midst of them? He is watching. He is all over. How could they forget that? How can you forget Acts 2? The things happen just like only a few days back. See, sometimes we may understand, we may think of the Bible as every page. Let's say for your Bible has thousand pages. We might have a tendency to think all these thousand pages happen in thousand days. <laughs> you know, but there's a lot of time gap in the events. So, how can you not think that there is Holy Spirit among the people and you can do whatever you want? How can you, how can you be so misguided or did you allow Satan to guide you? So heart, according to Jeremiah 17, is what? Desperately wicked. Oh, that's an that's explanation of the heart. Desperately what? Wicked. So these people to begin with, they're just fancy Christians. They're not really, really Christians. They don't really believe in him. And God altogether, but they let the devil take control of them and they kept part. And so Peter figured that out and he questioned Ananias. I mean, Peter brings the truth out of Ananias by questioning him. 
by questioning. So there are several questions Peter would, uh, you know, throw out at Ananias. And also when Sapphira comes, there's another question part of him as well. So Peter said, Ananias, why, number one, Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. You lied to the Holy Spirit, okay? That is something where we need to keep in, uh, keep in, um, keep track of. Lie to the Holy Ghost here. That is, he was lying to the Holy Spirit. And to keep part of the price of the land. So obviously he was committing something wrong. Three issues that we notice here is Satan filled Ananias' heart. He lied to the Holy Spirit. He kept back part of the proceeds of the heart. So uh, Satan being filled. One of the question, how would Peter know that Satan filled Ananias? Can a believer be filled with Satan in his or her heart? Obviously we looked at it and know, but what we can learn is Ananias' willful act led to this influence by the Satan. He let Satan take control of his heart. Same thing with his wife, right? They were both part of uh, this, this, this crime, sort of. So, why, so one of the quotations that we read here is, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? So, I mean, this is a, well, quotation comes afterwards. But this is Peter talking to Ananias. I mean, you just lied to Holy Spirit, Ananias. Now, here's the second question. Why did you let, Holy, why did you let Satan fill your heart? Number one, what is the second one? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after, was it, and after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? How many questions we see there? Two. Third one, uh, fourth one, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto who? He just said that you're lying to Holy Ghost. Now he is saying what? You're lying to God himself. So Holy Ghost and God are same identical. But there's so much pressure here. There's so much emphasis that Peter was trying to put on God because God is watching everything and you directly lie to the... I mean, I'm just... I'm Peter. This is my buddy John. These are other disciples. We're just messengers of the Lord. That's all. We are not the Lord. We are messengers. But you have lied to Holy Ghost and you lied to God himself. So... Peter asked these questions because he was trying to, you know, make Ananias see what he was doing or what he did to the Lord. And one of the things that we can learn from here, why it remained is not thine own. Now, here is, the, here is one of the points. Now, was Ananias and Sapphira, or for that reason, Barnabas forced to give anything? Ananias, well, you have it. That's yours. You own it. I didn't ask you to bring it. Nobody forced you to bring it. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You are in control of what you received. Nobody took the control from you, Ananias. I mean, that land, whatever, that is yours. The proceeds that came out of it is yours. Everything is yours. I mean, it, it is yours. Nobody forced you. I didn't ask you to bring anything. But still, why have you conceived this thing in that heart that you want to lie to God? That you want to keep back? It's a heart issue. You want to keep back. Why would you think in those terms, Ananias? Thou hast not lied. See the conclusion here, the summary he gives. You didn't lie to us, but you lied to God himself. So there's a, an ecclesiological impact here uh, for the church. That if you're lying to the church, then that's the equivalent of lying. You're lying to God. You're lying to believers. That's equivalent to lying to God. That's part of this thing. Are you all with me? I mean, it gets a little scary here. If I lie to you, I'm lying to who? God. When I lie to God, let's not think for a second. He's going to be okay. Lord, I'm so sorry. I did something last week. Forgive. That doesn't work with him all the time because God, is, can, God cannot be fooled. Okay? You hear that? God cannot be fooled. What are these people doing here? 
Ananias and Sapphira. He's not going to see all that. We just keep what we need to keep and we just go out there and pretend like we're giving everything. That's all. Game over. Nobody asks any questions. But they didn't expect facing this confrontation. We could think Peter was being so rude here, but Peter was not rude. He's obviously filled with the Spirit of God and he, was, he knew something happened, obviously. And so he was questioning that. Ananias and his attitude, his heart. Why did you let this happen? This is your own thing. I, nobody asked you anything. And church, remember this. Nobody asks us anything. Nobody's forcing us to give anything. We should willfully give because of the joy that we have that comes of the salvation that, you know, from the saving work of Christ. Right? I'm teaching personal evangelism, which I don't want to go into that class. But you see, sometimes we don't go forward and share the word of God because we sort of don't have the joy of salvation. These people right there, like not Ananias and Sapphira, they're first century Christians. They have nothing but their heart is filled with what? Joy because of the salvific work of Christ on the cross, because of their salvation, because they're declared righteous, because they're declared, uh, they're adopted into the family of God. They're children of God. So they couldn't keep that joy to themselves and they're spreading the word of God. They're spreading Jesus, not, you know, let's, not use the term gospel, we can use it later on, but they're spreading Jesus out to the public because of the church, because of the joy. But today's church, there's no joy in the heart of the church. I mean, hardly any, right? There's hardly any joy. I mean, I'm not saying, listen, I mean, you, you know, you have to follow these protocols and all this stuff. If you have the joy of what Christ has done in you, you won't keep quiet. How can we keep quiet? Is that what they're saying? We, they cannot keep quiet, but they're, I mean, as you look into chapter five, the joy that's filled in the hearts of the disciples will not stop them from proclaiming God. So here, Peter never asked any one of them. Nobody was asked to give anything, but they brought on their own, but their heart was so wicked that they have let the devil take control of them. What is that is they want to be, uh, gain, they want to gain reputation, like good reputation, really nothing else. I mean, <clears throat> in my notes, I had some Greek, uh, grammar information, such things, but I'm, I'm not looking at my notes here again. They let the devil because uh, no, the point of letting the devil is basically they want to get that good name from congregation, from the people around them, so they can be what? Pumped a little bit. Uh, Self-centered reputation. It's not, they're not willing to give uh, glory to God, but they want to get a name. And I mentioned this last week, right? how many of them wants to get a good name in the church, but really don't Think about giving glory to God. You and I are alive today because of grace of God, right? Because it's God's gift. Every day, every moment in a day is God's gift. And most of the times we don't even think about that. We just, eh. we just throw, I mean, I, I just, sometimes I see on social media, if someone requests a prayer, they say, I throw, I, I put up a prayer. I throw up a prayer. I'm like, what do you mean throw up a prayer? It's better that you don't even pray to begin with. You throw up a prayer. What is that? What's throwing up a prayer? And there's, there's no reverence to the Lord. It's like, you know, God has become something these days. I'm really, there is no sincerity in what a lot of people, a lot of Christians are doing and so forth. Um, there are also people in, in, in today's church who want to do things so that they could get a good name. Like I mentioned last time, right? <laughs> I took Jeremiah, I was sitting right there last week, and I took him as an example. Remember? Like I have a church and... Let's say I have 3,000 people in my church after 10 years. And Jeremiah was like, after 10 years, hey, I've been with you since the day one. So why don't you make me as an assistant pastor? I said, no, 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 no. You're trying to steal my position. So you stay as a deacon. 
What is all that good? What, what am I trying to say? The self-centeredness. I want this name because I have built this church. I brought this church over until this far. I mean, in reality, nobody owns anything, right? I had a friend who was in my uh, doctorate cohort, and uh, he was the he was the associate pastor at a uh, Korean church in California. And he got fired from his position as an associate pastor because he got his doctorate before the senior pastor did. Oh, okay. That's a whole different. Wow. 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 That's really crazy. Another thing, another example that I talked last week is if our church, for example, when I say I have a church and in my church I have like big people, big people in the sense of lawyers and doctors and judges and whatnot, they're all big money. Yes. So the big money gets the front row. The no to poor money gets the back row. Right? And if I'm not right in my heart and my mind, if I'm not biblical pastor, then what I would do, if I'm not biblical pastor, what I would do is I'd give time and praises and everything else to this front row because they're the big money to my church and I need them because they need to pay my electric bills. They need to pay my salary. And I invite them, let's go have supper. What about the poor guy standing? Good to see you. That doesn't mean anything, right? I've, I've faced a lot of this good to see you. It doesn't mean anything to me or from their perspective. But we have all kinds of, oh, you're a doctor? Oh, uh, we have today um, a special guest, a special visitor today, Dr. So-and-so. We hope you come back. <laughs> Why? Because you could give, like, you know, maybe 10,000, 50,000 a year. Who knows? It's all, come on, what, what do we get? Church needs people like you. And I've been to those churches where these rich people are treated so better than the poor people. If that is the case, then you're missing the whole point of Luke. Luke was focused on not rich people, but what? Poor people. What did he say? One of the things in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, it is difficult for... The focus is not the rich, rich who are so arrogant. Focus is poor people. So, I mean, church is missing in that sense. When I give preference and priority to this rich man and the church, then I'm really doing something terrible in the eyes of the Lord. And in some sense, I should resign because that is a wrong thing to do. Am I making sense? There is no partiality for God. There is poor and rich. Whether you're a believer in the Lord, if you're a strong believer in the Lord, if you truly believe in the Lord, it doesn't matter if you have riches or not. You're equal in the eyes of the Lord. You're both children of the Lord. You both belong to the Creator, the King, and the Lord of Lords. What is the distinction? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing how God designed everything. And, and, and when you know the desire of what's in God's heart, I think there'll be more understanding of what needs to be done. So here we're seeing, I mean... Giving priority to anyone for that matter is not right in the, in the church because church is what? Body of Christ. Everybody is equal to the creator God. So here we're seeing nobody asks them anything and they want that reputation. They want their own special you know, recognition in the community. Hey, we did so and so and so and so. So give us some praising and so forth. So and about the space of three hours after when his wife. So now, oh, I forgot to read this. Um, so here we are seeing that uh, Peter questioned him, Ananias, and he said, why are you now not only lying to men, but you're also lying to God? So that didn't go well, right? 
about it was three about three space of three hours after when his wife not knowing what was done came in peter answered to her tell me whether you sold the land so much and she said yeah for so much so what happened right before this some verses missing but what happened right before this ananias fell dead while peter was still speaking that is a present continuous tense when he was questioning the conversation the dialogue it's not conversation it's a dialogue not even dialogue it's a direct speech so when he was speaking ananias fell dead there's it didn't finish peter didn't finish so people came took him <laughs> took ananias and then his wife came later on so after three hours she came and peter questioned tell me whether you sold the land for so much and she said what not knowing what happened to her husband oh yeah oh yeah we did then peter said unto her how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the lord oh you're testing the lord what we said earlier you're testing the lord you lie to the lord you're dead you lie to the church you're dead you lie to your believer believer brother or sister in christ you're dead in the sense you're in trouble here he says, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the lord behold the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out oh peter please what where's my husband bam dead she's also part of it so safara is not exempt from this incident because she planned together with her husband this is an indication for the love of wealth and fame now testing the spirit of the lord is very very dangerous right the issue here is that Ananias and Sapphira wants outward recognition for what they did as opposed to Barnabas. They want to keep some and give some so that they could get a name from the church as opposed to Barnabas who gave all he has did not seek any form of recognition. So in some form they were testing the Lord. In Exodus 17:7 says and he called the name of the place Massa and Mariba because the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying is the Lord among us or not? Ah uh, really you want to see if I'm with you or not <laughs> and God proved it they were testing the lord how many times the israelites test the lord in wilderness 10 times god was was he not patient with them was he not long suffering he was and how can he let things happen even here they were testing the lord in acts chapter 5 don't fool god because god himself is doing mighty things and deeds in the midst of you for his own purpose and glory and you Ananias and Sapphira are blocking my go you have caused much problem within this new congregation you are trying to set up an example what if these people might fall because israels have the weakness they follow other gods and goddesses and religion and so forth in the back in the days so it's not new so god knew if these people are let go in whatever they whatever way they want to go they would follow again something else and most important thing is they're testing the lord and obviously god will not let that happen so their lie contained within is an assumption that the spirit would do nothing really the spirit would do nothing conscious or not it was a challenge as to whether god was really present in the church was he present in the church or not we need to stop here he was present in the church so this is like mocking god right when you do certain things as if god is not watching god doesn't care you're mocking the creator who was so active in acts 2 until this chapter he was so active he was healing he was doing wonders and he's giving boldness to disciples to preach in the name of Jesus and these people brought disgrace to the name of who Jesus who is God now obviously what did he do don't destroy or come in between as a stumbling block to my plan god kill them 
over. And as we read this chapter, this sandwich between uh, and five, and five, one to eleven, in that in that verses, you learn the fear of the Lord fell upon them. And at the end, you see the fear of the Lord fell upon them. Why? Just like in book of Haggai, uh, Haggai chapter 1, it says, consider your ways two times. Consider your ways, meaning set your heart right. The fear of the Lord fell upon them. Fear of the Lord fell upon them. Why is that? Because these people just saw what God did. If you mock, lie, insult God. They saw the punishment. So we'll continue that from next week of, uh, of what is it? fear and what is the punishment and so forth. So any questions so far? And for those uh, of you who are, might be watching online, if this is not online, sorry, things, we need to fix uh, some things next week for next week. Any questions? If not, who would be wanting to close in the prayer? Anyone wants to close in prayer? Or I'll call your name if it's uh, so not, go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving us this time out of the week, this first day where we can come and gather together in the fullness and comfort of this place and, and open up your word and study it and hear it preached to us as well. I pray that you would help us to learn the lessons that you want us to learn from it. I, I pray that you would, uh, that you would uh, speak to us through the Holy Spirit and help us to be, uh, be amazed from the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Please, Lord, help us to resist any kind of temptation we may have to ever attempt to be to ever test you. I pray that you would help us to always be um, in recognition of just the facts, the facts that you are omniscient, you know all things, and you are omnipresent, you are in all places, and you can see everything. I pray that you would help us to be like Barnabas, generous and be giving and, uh, and truthful in all of our actions. I pray that you would help us as we go out from here, give us safety, I pray for the service to follow, that uh, you would bless us and that we would be honored through it. Please help us all as we, as we begin our week today and enter into the work week tomorrow. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Thank you.